You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Listen, we're talking about uh, what we believe in being the church. And so we've been talking about our core values. And man, we kind of plan this out. Uh, believe it or not, you know, God always gives you a plan and the Holy Spirit anoints it and, and blesses it. And I believe he's been blessing these last several Sundays. And, and uh, I want to welcome all of you here, but also want to welcome everybody online that's watching. Thank you for watching today. For whatever reason you're watching, we welcome you. Good or bad reasons, we welcome you. Uh, I wanna talk about our core values. I wanna review them and stop at one that we've already talked about. But the first one is we love God and people and nothing else, amen? The second one is the truth prevails. And I, I wanna talk about the truth a little bit, uh, but I wanna take you to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're gonna start in verse eight. This is David fighting Goliath. Uh, this is that story in chapter 17. And uh, this is what happens in the first verse in verse 8. It says, Then he, the talking about Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. So there's giants that call us out. And sometimes they're personal giants. You know, Paul talks about, he said, man, there's this war that rages within me. You know, we have personal giants that call us out. And God wants us to stand up to them and defeat them the same way that David defeated Goliath. Exact same way. So there's personal internal battles that we face that we have to overcome. And God takes us to that place so that when we overcome those, then we're fit to serve. Not that we're perfect, but then we can really start helping and serving others when we face our own giants. And I like that one song we sing that said, I didn't kill Goliath, but I'm fighting my, I'm killing my own giants, amen? And so we have some internal giants, and then we have external giants in our life that, that challenge us and call us out. Like, come on, let's see if you can fix this marriage. Come on, let's see if you can do this. Come on, and calling us out constantly and challenging us. But then we have some giants that call us out as a body, that call the whole church out. This giant called the whole nation of Israel, its leader and everybody else, the whole nation, called the whole nation out. And there's, there's a giant that's calling out the body of Christ right now. Go to the next verse, please. And if, if he is able to fight with me, whoever comes out and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, let me point this out. If you do not kill the personal giants that God shows you uh, and you do not defeat them, then you'll end up serving those giants. If you don't face the external ones that are in your life, if you don't face up to them and say, hold on, I'm gonna take on this giant. The same way David did, I am. He took on that giant in the name of the Lord and it's not coincidence, God's so strategic and so cool. It's not coincidence that he was perfect with the sling and that he threw rocks because who's the rock of our salvation? Jesus. Who's Jesus? The word of God. So how do you defeat those giants? Is with the word, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen? And, but you have to be in relationship with him. David understood his relationship with God so he could operate with the power of God to overcome giants. And we need to do the same thing. But if we don't face those giants, we'll become their servants. We'll become those servants. I know people that, that refuse to face the fact that they, that they have an alcohol problem and start fighting back against it. And because they don't, they're the servants of that. So whatever the issue is, you can become the servant of it. And there's a giant calling out the church right now and many have become its servant. Not just hiding and running, but actually have come to serve that giant. And the giant that's calling us out right now is that spirit of homosexuality in all these various genders and all these other sexualities. There's 68 gender types, 48 types of sexuality that are calling the church out. They're calling us out. That giant's calling the whole body of Christ out. And you know it's happening because you guys know that work in the secular world, that that's the one issue you can't talk about. That's the one issue you can't mention. 
Uh, I was at CPAC. Julie and I were invited by General Boykin to go to a thing called CPAC, which is a big uh, political thing, but it's a big Christian thing too. A lot of Christians there. Uh, the, I can't remember all the presidential candidates spoke there when we were there, Ted Cruz and a bunch of others that were running for president. I think, was Trump there? Too? No, that wasn't Trump. But anyway, uh, it was before that. But uh, maybe it was, was it one of the Bushes, I think. But all these leaders are there speaking. It's not a huge group of people. You think it is, but it's not as big as you think. But we met a, a, a senior master sergeant in the Air Force who they told his story. And then I got to really talk to him personally at the airport because uh, we were on the same flight. But what had happened to him was, this is years ago, is that he had a captain that was a woman who was a lesbian. And she was getting married and everybody was celebrating it but him. He didn't say anything negative about it. He just would not celebrate it. So she calls him in and says, hey, what's the deal? Why aren't you celebrating this the way the rest of them? And why have you turned down my invitation to attend my wedding? And he said, well, I'd rather not say. And she said, no problem. I won't hold it against you. And then he said, well, I'm a Christian and I believe it's wrong. Well, from that point forward, she registered a complaint against him. And he was at CPAC and they were telling his story nationally. And Liberty Council took up the, a lawsuit against the military because what they had done to him, he was, he was getting promoted to chief, which is the highest level that he could have achieved as, as a non-commissioned officer. And he, that's what his dream was. And they, that dream was coming to pass, and that had all been promised to him. Well, they, they were going to kick him out. Well, Liberty Council stood up for him and fought back, so they didn't kick him out. So what they did is they wouldn't give him his promotion, and then they shipped him off to another MOS, another mission that had nothing to do with anything he'd ever done. What they did was demote him. Not because he just wouldn't, that he spoke up against it, but because he wouldn't celebrate it. He wouldn't become its servant. Like the CEO of Disney, he stayed neutral and all the stuff happened in Florida. The Florida law does not say you can't say gay. What it says is you can't sexualize uh, five-year-olds to th third graders about any kind of form of sexuality, nothing. We're, not, we're just gonna teach them math and English and arithmetic and, and to do their ABCs and we're gonna teach them regular stuff other than stuff about sexuality. And they got a problem with that because they want to sexualize this, this spirit of lust that has no bottom, wants to sexualize our children. So the CEO of Disney didn't say nothing about it. So they attacked him and he acquiesced because they said, it's not enough that you didn't say anything. You've got to be on our side. You have to serve us. And that giant's calling out the body of Christ. It's called out pastors and pastors are serving. They back down, and they're, they're not only backing down, but they're serving that spirit and now celebrating and acquiescing and, and committing to serve that spirit and celebrating it, applauding that spirit. To me, that lacks any amount of compassion for people who are lost. And those of us who remember being lost, that had, com that had committed sexual sin and all kinds of other stuff, sins, Man, we, we, we're so grateful. I don't know about you, I'm grateful that people had compassion on me and told me the truth in love. Told me the truth in love. And the word of God tells us the truth in love. And so Goliath calls him out and says, you'll serve me. And we know the rest of the story. David comes out and says, I come against you in the name of the Lord my God. He comes representing the Lord his God. Because he knows the Lord his God is right and true. And that he can't be defeated if he stays on his side. But there's an intimidation factor in every workplace. You know, you can talk about being pro-life. You can talk about a lot of things. But if you bring up this issue, you can be canceled. You can be fired. There's people who have lost their jobs, lost their positions. About if you, And it's not that they stay neutral. It's if someone notices they're neutral, you've got to come serve over here. You have to serve this position, and it's been demanded of me that, that I apologize and that I celebrate and acquiesce. Uh, guys, I'm telling you, out of all the love in my heart, I will not apologize for what the Word of God says. I will not apologize for loving people enough to tell them the truth. And no matter what they accuse me of and say about me, call me a hater or fearful, accuse me of this thing or not neglecting this person or doing this or that, man, guys, I'm not backing down from it. None of that. They can accuse me of whatever they want to point out, whatever they want to, to point out to me. Jesus said this when they accused him of being demonic and being a hater and all this stuff. He said, wisdom's known by its children. I'll let the fruit of my life speak for itself.
I'll let the fruit, and I'll let the word of God speak for itself. So on Wednesday, I read Romans 1. Today, the Bible says, by two or three witnesses establish a thing. I'm gonna read you the next section of scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter six, because we're gonna get to the place uh, where we're talking about the next core value we have. We're, we're talking about truth prevails, the truth of God, and family matters, and save people, serve people, and the next truth is an empty seat is a serious problem. We're gonna talk about that empty seat here in just a moment, but it says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, surely you must know that people who practice evil cannot possess God's kingdom realm. He didn't say people that have done evil. He said people who practice it. The, the purpose of their heart is to just practice being good at evil. I don't know about you guys, I practiced evil. I, I became really good at throwing parties and <laughs> buying alcohol illegally and you know all, all kinds of stuff. You know, you practice it. I had buddies that we used to celebrate how, how smart they could be at pulling this off or pulling that off, and we practiced sin. And he says this, stop being deceived. We need to speak to people. Listen, the spirit of deception always comes first. The first thing Eve said when God said, what have you done, Eve? He, she said, first I was deceived, then I ate. There's a spirit of deception right now that, that is out that's saying, hey, listen, I'm a Christian lesbian. That would be like saying I'm a Christian adulterer, that I cheat on my wife all the time, but I, I, I'm right with God. Or saying that I'm a Christian uh, uh, fornicator. I sleep around with every woman I can. I use every person I can. And yet I, I, am, I, am, I am right with God. You're not. The Bible says if you practice these things, you're, you're practicing evil. And that he said, don't be deceived. You're being deceived into thinking that somehow this is Christianity. And he goes on to say this. He says, people who continue to engage... In sexual immorality, idolatry, and I think it's interesting that in Romans 1, it talks about idolatry before it talks about sexual impurity, and here again, it talks about idolatry before it talks about uh, different forms of sexual perversion. He says this, idolatry, adultery, sex, uh, sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse, or extortion, these will not inherit God's kingdom realm. Otherwise, you're not going to heaven if you practice and engage. And then Romans 1 says, if you practice and engage, or you don't practice and engage, but you encourage and applaud people who do, you're gonna get the same results because you're cheering them on. And I know parents and people that have been hurt and said, Pastor Troy, you're hurting me. I have a child like this. You know, listen, Man, I, 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 I love your children. I don't love your children as much as you do because no one loves my children as much as I do. But the, the, the greatest love I can share with your children is, is this scripture right here. In the scriptures in the Bible says, you will not attain the kingdom of heaven. Quit being deceived and quit deceiving yourself as a parent thinking that, 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 that your children can keep doing these things and they'll inherit the kingdom. That should cause us to take that very seriously and really begin to love and pray for them like we've never loved and prayed for them before. It shouldn't make you mad at me. I'm quoting the word of God, but I'll take the heat, whatever, whatever it is, I'm on God's side because I'm on the side of the word. And we're not perfect at it, but man, we can be really good at this. This is not rocket science. It's pretty easy to figure out. And he says this, it's true that some of you once lived in those lifestyles. Listen, I don't even want to show, have a, a show of hands of how many of you have ever committed a sexual sin or thought about committing one. Probably almost every hand in the room would go up, right? And so we once lived these lifestyles, but God calls us out of these lifestyles. He said, you once lived them. He said, but now you have been purified from sin, made holy, and given a perfect standing before God, all because of the power of the name of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and through our union with the Spirit of our God. So through our relationship with the Lord, that we've submitted our life to the Lordship of Christ, and because of the indwelling uh, Spirit of God, He sets us free from being controlled by all these things we once did, once practiced, once even enjoyed practicing. He sets us free. Yeah, you can clap because I love it that Jesus comes to set us free from the dominion of sin, that sin no longer controls our lives. And any of you have ever been addicted to anything, you know how controlling that is. 
But any of you that ever met, that submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ and have the indwelling spirit of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit, you know what it's like to be free from that. Man, that's an awesome day to get free. And so he goes on to say, it's true that our freedom allows us to do anything, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. I'm free to do as I choose. You know, what God does is, be, listen, before, we're saved, before we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive us our sins and submit our life to him, and the Holy Spirit comes dwells within us, listen, we're controlled by sin. It could be food, it could be fraud, it could be greed, it could be money, it could be depression. You're controlled by something. Sin is in control. That's why the Bible says don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to bondage because those things controlled you and had you bound. When you become a Christian, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus said if you know the truth, the truth will set you he sets us free. What does he do? He puts us back in control of our choices. It's exactly what that scripture's saying. Before that, we're not in control. Anybody that's ever been addicted to something, I don't care what it is, you know you're not in control. Some people are addicted to a person, and you know you're not in control of your emotions because everything they do or don't do, man, you just, you idolize them. Some addicted to money. Everything that happens with money, man, it just controls every decision you make. Some people, you know, I was addicted to, to several things. One of the last things I broke in my life addiction was, was tobacco. Man, it told me when to get up. When I got up in the morning, it said, you got to have some tobacco. When I, when I, after I ate dinner, man, it's time for some tobacco. I mean, uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, if I ran out, I was looking. I was going to the store. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any addiction will have you out there. We see people addicted, heavily addicted to meth and different things, man. They're wandering the streets, man, looking for something to steal, looking for some, some way to score, some way to get high. I mean, they'll sell anything, their body. I mean, some of you that have seen it, experienced it, you know where that, well, that addiction just totally controls your life, whether it's alcohol or food or whether it's anything, it just controls you. God puts you back in control of your own choice. He's a God of freedom. He doesn't just... He doesn't take over and make you. He sets you free from being made and says, oh, now I've set you free to choose. That's why he said choose. Now you, now you can choose. Because he doesn't want to control us. He wants a relationship with us. And he sets that relationship right and sets us free from the control of sin. He said, but I choose to never be enslaved to anything. Man, I choose to never be a slave to anything. Someone say Amen. Let's choose what the Bible tells us to choose. I don't want to be a slave to nothing. I have an a, a, a old pastor that passed away, has gone on to be with the Lord. His name was Kenneth Hagin. We called him Brother Hagin. Man, he, he one time was a, a pastor in a church in Texas, and it was very hot and humid, and that's before they had really good cooling systems. And Man, he'd be in that church studying, and he'd be sweating, and across the street was a gas station. And back then, uh, believe it or not, we had these Coca-Cola machines that sat outside, and no one stole them. And they were unlocked during the day. You could just open it up. And so he saw that Coca-Cola machine, and they would sweat, man. They'd be like sweating. You could tell it was cold. And one day he said, you know what? I'm going to go get me a cold Coca-Cola. And he went over there, popped that, and, oh, he said, oh. Well, the next day came, same thing. He's like, I'm going to get me another Coke. For three weeks, every day, for seven straight days, he went and got a Coke at that gas station. About the third week, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, man, you're addicted. He said, no, I'm not. And he goes, oh, yes, you are. And he said, you know what? I started thinking about it. I started thinking about the same time every day. I, I was just pulled. He said, after that, I remembered this scripture. Don't be, a, don't be a slave to anything. You know what he did? Oh, all of you diet Dr. Pepper freaks, man, and all you other people, you're bad freaks. Listen, listen, he said, he said, I decided right then I'd never have another Coke again. This was like in the 1940s or, or late 40s, early 50s. He never drank another pop again. Just because he never wanted to be addicted and enslaved to anything. He didn't want anything else to control his life except the word and the spirit. There's freedom for everybody, no matter what you've done. And contrary to what some people have said, everybody is accepted here at Church on the Move and welcome here. I want to invite you to church. But if you come here, don't expect to say the same. Because the Spirit of the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ will change your life forever and set you free from those things that are controlling you. And so, 
that invitation leads us to this. Go with me to the book of Luke. Jesus is talking about inviting people. He has a lot to say about inviting people. And he talks about it continuously and consistently. It says in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, then Jesus turned to his host and said, he was at a banquet and, uh, you know, uh, he's talking to people and um, he said, then Jesus turned to his host and said, when you throw a banquet, don't just invite your friends, relatives, or rich neighbors, for it is likely they will return the favor. It is better to invite those who never get an invitation. Invite the poor to your banquet along with the outcast, the handicapped, and the blind, those who could never repay you the favor. Then you will experience a great blessing in this life, and at the resurrection of the godly, you will receive a full reward. God says, listen, if you would go out and start inviting people to church, this is the, bank, this is the, this is the weekly banquet feast. We feast on, on the Spirit of God and on the Word of God. He said, when you go out and start inviting people that can't pay you back or, you know, you don't trying to look like a big shot to them, you start inviting everybody and anybody, regardless of their status, who they are. You just invite and invite and invite. He said, not only is there, he said, there's a great reward in this life. He said, there's a great reward in this life. Then he said, there's even greater rewards in the next. Someone asked us on our, on our uh, Facebook, I don't know what they asked us on, something in the computer. And they, they asked, why is there a judgment in Revelations of, why is there a final judgment if people who know Jesus die and go to heaven, why would they go to judgment? Listen, that final judgment is for the door to finally be closed to hell, that people go to hell and that's it. And the judgment on the believers is our rewards. That's when we get all our rewards. We don't receive judgment of heaven and hell. We've been saved from that by Jesus, Right? So our, what happens is us is we, our lives get judged and we get rewards for that. That's the reward he's talking about here for those who invite anybody. The homeless, the, I mean, golly, guys. Anybody and everybody. He said, go invite those who no one else invites. All these other people get tons of invitations. What about the ones who never get an invitation? His compassion and care for the least in our community, the least around us is so incredible. I talked to a man today in between services that was one of those that his brother invited him to church. He got saved. He struggled heavily with addiction. He came just to, you know, let me see him and see how free he was. And all because his brother invited him to church. All because my brother invited me to church. I'm standing here before you. Someone invited you to church. Over 80 percent plus people get saved at church someone invited them someone invited you when you were six or seven someone invited you to church when you were 50 or 13 and you found Jesus there someone invited you then it says this when they heard this one of the dinner guests said to Jesus someday God will have a kingdom feast and how happy and privileged will be the ones who get to share in that joy that's going to be incredible that's the first thing we do when we all get to heaven and the final judgment is, is sealed. Man, we have a big feast. I don't know how long that lasts, but it's eternity, so we could go 100 billion years and still be good, right? But it's a good feast. It's gonna be full of joy and happiness. And then it says, Jesus replied with this parable. There was a man who invited many to join him in a great feast. When the day for the feast arrived, the host instructed his servant to notify all the invited guests and tell them, come, for everything is now ready for you. But one by one, they all made excuses. Everybody say excuses. Man, people make excuses all the time about how they, they can't do this. They can't go to church for this. And can't come because of this. One said, I can't come. I just bought some property and I'm obligated to go and look it over. Another said, please accept my regrets for I just purchased five teams of oxen and I need to make sure they can pull the plow. Two of the, re two of the three reasons are all business related, money related. Because God knew that there would be a battle between our hearts that's to serve money or our hearts to serve God. So two of the excuses is, man, I gotta work. Well, you know, they're, they're using that as an excuse, uh, don't know the, the truth because it's an excuse. There's some validity to it, but there's some that some of it's not true. It gets an excuse. And so whatever excuses people are using, my goodness, we need to help them overcome those excuses. Well, then how about next week? How about this week? How about Wednesday? 
How, are you working then? How about this Friday when we're doing the, the big celebration? How about you come then? And try to help them eliminate those excuses. Another one, another one said, I can't come because I just got married. So two of the excuses were financial. The other one's relational. I got this relationship thing I got going on. I can't go to church. So he deals with some of the things that we would use the most. I got, I got this thing going on with my kid. I've talked about it. I, I really like youth sports. I think it's huge. I've participated in every possible way in youth sports and so are my children. But I, I don't like it when youth sports and those kind of things pull us out of church and we say, I'm doing this for my kid. I'm doing this for this. The best thing you can do for your kid, the best thing you can do for your marriage, the best thing you can do for your business is to be in church with no excuses. Then he said this, the servant reported back to the host and told them of all these excuses. So the master became angry and said to his servant, go at once throughout the city. So we're to go throughout the city and invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting and the lonely, and invite them to my banquet. When the servant returned to his master, he said, sir, I have done what you've asked, but there's still room for more. Let me say something to you. An empty seat next to you is not something I lament over. I used to think, doggone it, man, there's empty seats. Now I realize they're just opportunities that God gave us. God never gave us one chair in here that he doesn't have a person in mind. Now I look and I go, oh, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Oh, 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 I wonder who's gonna sit there. What beautiful, awesome person that God created and wants to save is going to sit next to that empty chair that you're sitting next to? And you know how they're going to get there? (laughs) How did all these people get to the feast? Invited. They're invited. You know, no matter what business you run, that especially like local restaurants, churches and stuff, most people do not come because of our internet access. No, no people don't, don't come because of our Facebook page. The overwhelming majority of people come because they were personally invited to come. It's still the same. That's the way most restaurants flourish, most places flourish, is person to person uh, saying, hey, this is awesome. This is good. This is something you want to eat. This is something you want to do. This is a place you want to go. How many of you have ever gone to a vacation spot that someone else told you, this is awesome, you need to go see that? Or a restaurant or a, or a church or a thing that you've done because someone else that you trusted said, hey, this is good. Well, we need to be the people that go out and say, this is good, and we're inviting you. And if you don't want to come, you got excuses. There's plenty of hurt. But the point Jesus is making, there's plenty of hurting people out there that are waiting for an invitation. Everybody's welcome at church on the the move. And God will accept you the way you are. He won't leave you the way you are, though. Oh, my goodness, he won't leave you that way. So he says to go invite. And when he said, hey, all right, go out again. And this time, bring them all back with you. Then he he goes from invitation. He says, persuade the beggars on the street, the outcasts, even the homeless. So he goes from invitation to starting to persuade. So, man, if you invite, 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 and they say no, now God wants you to persuade them. Hey, let me, let me give you some good reasons why you want to come. Let me tell you what God's done in my life through this ministry of this church. He said, start persuading. Hey, I know you have this issue and this issue. God can, God can solve that. God can help you there. God can change. God can set you free. You start to persuade them. He said, persuade the beggars on the street, the outcasts, even the homeless. Then he goes to another level. He said, if they won't listen to an invitation and you can't persuade them, then urgently insist that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house will be full. Listen, he's saying if they won't be, listen to an invitation and come, if they they can't be persuaded, then you're gonna have to get urgent and look at them and say, listen, if you continue down that road, you will not make it into heaven. You'll spend an eternity in hell. If you continue down that road, you won't make it. Now you're gonna have to get urgent. Why are you urgent? Because Jesus is coming back soon. Why are you urgent? Because whether he's coming for us or we're going to him, there's a day that we're gonna answer for our life. And God says, if you've invited and they don't listen, and then you've tried to persuade them and they don't listen, then urgently, urgently encourage them to come. He never says make them because you can't. But you can invite, you can persuade, 
And you can be urgent about your request because lives are on the line. That's why when we say big day could be the biggest day of someone's life, because you inviting, persuading, or, or urgently requesting that they come could be the difference between heaven and hell. And this isn't about numbers. This is about emptying hell and filling up heaven. This, that's what it's about. It's what it's always been about. He says, I say to you all, the one who receives an invitation to feast with, with me and makes excuses will never enjoy my banquet. Otherwise, you'll never, you'll never go to heaven. So you gotta, you gotta take on their excuses. And, and then if, if someone just, you've, you've invited, you've, you've, you've uh, uh, persuaded, you've urgently requested, and they keep refusing, and you love them, keep praying for them, but go to the next person. Go to the next person. That's his point. Go to the person that's hurting, that recognizes they're in a tough, invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them to come sit by you. Invite, and, and, uh, tell them you'll come pick them up. You'll sit with them. You'll meet them at the front door. This is God's word. This is how he grows the body of Christ. And we are a body. We're not a social club. And because we're not a social club, we're a body. Every piece is needed. And we're missing some pieces because there's empty chairs. God blessed us with these chairs. He didn't bless us so we can look at them and say, those are cool chairs. No, he wants to put someone's blessed assurance right in the smack dab in the middle of them. He's got a plan. I thank God he had a plan for me and that there was a chair for me at church because I sat in it and I got saved. I thank God that someone invited me. My question to you today would be, would you invite Paul? Paul who? Paul of the Bible. Paul of Tarsus. Paul who wrote 13 books of the Bible. Would you invite him? Because God said, That's, those are the ones you want to invite. Well, all of you are like, well, yeah, man, Paul's a great Christian. Well, he wasn't always a great Christian. Matter of fact, he was the worst of the, um, he said, I was the worst of the worst of all sinners. And then he tells, tells us why. Not because he was in sexual sin or anything else. He said, I was worse than any of them. Because I killed Christians for a living. I tried to stamp out the Lord Jesus Christ in the body of Christ, the church, for a living. He said, I dedicated my life to killing Christians. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Or, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8. We begin to read about, about Saul, whose name is later changed to Paul. Same guy. God, God likes to change names because he likes to change destinies. He's cool. He's cool like that. He changed Saul's destiny. He became Paul. So in Acts chapter 1, verse, or Acts chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 1, it says, Now Saul agreed to, to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participate in his execution. Stephen's the first martyr, Christian martyr ever recorded. He's a, he's a deacon. He's a deacon of the church, and he performed a miracle, and he refused to reject Jesus. And denied Jesus was the Lord. And so uh, Paul became an accomplice who was now, at this point, Saul, to his execution, to him being murdered. You want to invite that guy to church? He said, from that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began. All the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea and among the Samaritans, except the apostles who remained behind in Jerusalem. Why did they scatter? They scattered because of Paul. He, 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 only, he not only was an accomplice to Stephen's execution, his being stoned to death publicly, he became a persecutor of the church. In Acts 9, if you go to verse 1 there, in Acts 9 verse 1 it says, During these days Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. He had a murderous spirit. He wasn't just angry. He wanted to kill them all. So he went to ask the high priest and request a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus requesting their cooperation and finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. Saul wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. That was his, that was his life goal, was to destroy the body of Christ, Kill every Christian. He wanted to kill off the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you invite him? 
Acts chapter 22. Keep, keep turning the page. Acts chapter 22. Verse 3. Paul says, he's talking to, to the Jews, explaining who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. He says in verse 4, let's start there. I've hunted down and killed the followers of this way. I have seized them and thrown them into prison, both men and women. He said, you can verify this with the Jewish leaders. I'm a slaughterer of Christians. You want to invite Paul? Acts 26. Go with me there. Actually, you know what? For time's sake, let's go back to Acts chapter 9. As you can tell in the scripture, his name changed from Saul to Paul. Everybody okay out there? Acts chapter 9, verse 10. It says this. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name. Ananias, he's calling your name today. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. The Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house while he, he was praying and he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. For Paul had been knocked down by Jesus and he, he was blinded for three days. This is what Ananias said, but Lord. <laughs> so many people say, but Lord, they'll be mad at me if I invite them. But Lord, they're, they're mad at me every time I try to persuade them. But Lord, they're mad at me every time I try to urgently plead with them. Guys, we're going to face some persecution for the cause of Christ. If the least that we, uh, uh, persecution we face is that people are mad at us because we're trying to help them get saved, then we should face it. We should deal with it. Well, my mom's mad at me. She said she'd never talk to me. Well, guess just pray for her and love her. We're not trying to offend them. We're not purposely trying to offend them or beat them over the head with a Bible. But man, how could you not continually, urgently try to see someone you love go to heaven and not hell? There's not a day goes by. Man, I'm not on my face for my children, for my family, for this family. I'm on my face. There's not a, I mean, I probably pray 15, 20 times a day for their salvation. I'm constantly speaking to God. I won't leave him alone until he acts. Why? Because I understand there's a heaven to gain and a hell to, to, to forsake. And I don't want anyone that I love, any human being to go to hell. I don't rejoice when people die in their sin and go to hell. I don't rejoice at all and say, good riddance. I say, doggone it. We lost another one. That's how we all should be. And we should have this passion and this urgency. But Ananias said, but Lord, Ananias replied, many have told me about his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. Ananias said, I don't want to go invite him. The Bible goes on to say that, that the reason God chose Paul, because he says, Ananias, you are going to go and do this. And he knew Ananias would be obedient ultimately. Even though he tried to offer a reason. Ah, man, this guy's going to arrest me and kill me. And he's like, no, he's not. You go and do what I told you to do. And this is what he says about Paul later in this scripture. He says, because Paul has a passion. Paul was passionately wrong. Have you ever been passionately wrong? Where you thought, man, I'm right. And you're defending, then all of a sudden it hits you. The realization, oh my gosh. I've been fighting for this point, and I'm passionately wrong. Paul was, Paul was passionate for the things of God, but he was wrong. He missed the Messiah. He didn't recognize Jesus was the Lord. And once he did, God chose, chose him for his passion. That's it. He's like, Paul's passionate, man. I'm going to speak to Paul. I know if I confront Paul about who I am, Paul Paul's wants to please God. He thinks he's pleasing God with a passion by trying to kill these people off, but he's, he's doing the opposite. i got to turn him around. Because he knew once he did, his passion would. Some of the best Christians I know were some of the worst sinners I know. They're passionate, man. They're determined. They're not scared of anybody. They're like, shoot, man, I've been in a crack house. Let me go in here. Hey, you, 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 and you. Come on, I'm taking you to church today. 
Seriously, man, they're, they're bold as lions because they're not scared. I know some children that were raised in horrible circumstances that have come to love Jesus and they're not scared of anything. They're like, shh, nothing anybody else can do to me can be worse than what happened. Jesus has healed me from that hurt. Those wounds have been healed and now I'm gonna be bold as a lion. Don't let our children be bolder than us. Don't back down from Goliath because it's, he's challenging you. Fade some heat. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But he loved the haters. He kept inviting the haters. He kept speaking to the haters. Let's keep speaking to the Pauls. Let's keep speaking. We, had some, we have some of the biggest drug dealers in town serving Jesus in our church right now. We have police officers that were a mess. We have drug addicts, drug dealers. I mean, and some churches would say, oh, I don't want my kids to go to church. I don't want to go to church with them. Well, then you're not part of the body of Christ. This is exactly who Jesus came for. For us, all of us. He came for the homosexual. He came for the adulterer. He came for the sexual pervert. He came for the, the greedy. He came for everyone. He wants to set us free. He wants to save our lives. He wants to give us rewards in this life in the next. My question to you is, do you know any Pauls? Any people that are anti-God and anti-church and anti-Jesus and anti-church on the move and anti-that you, man, you know they are? Man, God's saying keep inviting them. Persuade them. Urgently persuade them. Do what you got to do. Because in the end, all that's going to matter is who went to heaven and who went to hell. That's all that's going to matter. I said that's all that's going to really matter. I said that's all that is going to really matter. All the other stuff we worry about and are fearful about won't matter at all. It's just going to matter who went to heaven and who went to hell. And with that same urgency that that master sent his servant out, he's, he's calling us out. He's saying, go, 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 invite, go persuade, go, 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 go. In this case, I'd say move, 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 because we're church on the move. I'm gonna end with this in Revelations 3, verse seven. And Jesus is talking to the church of Philadelphia, the brotherly love, and he says to him, I'm the one that opens doors and closes doors. You guys have maybe heard that statement, and you maybe even used it that, you know, God opens and closes doors to direct your life. Well, that scripture is really talking about open doors of ministry. Right now, because Jesus hasn't returned, there's an open door of ministry. But when he said, Doors I open, no man can close. But when I shut the door, when I shut the door, no man can enter. The story of the ten virgins is those, those five of the virgins didn't do what was right in the eyes of God. And when they showed up and banged on the door, they said, it's too late. The door's been shut and locked. There's going to come a day where that door's going to shut. Jesus is going to shut a door. I don't want any of our children and our loved ones to be on the other side of that. I've said this before that in the last judgment, it says the angels will throw people into hell. They aren't going to just walk voluntarily. The first thing Jesus does is dry our tears from that. We're going to witness that scene and watch the angels just throwing people in. It's like watching a guard escort someone to prison or to an execution that they deserved. It's going to be justice. And we're going to know it's right. Doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. I don't want us to live in any regret that I didn't invite, I didn't urge, I, didn't, I wasn't passionate about inviting. An empty seat is a serious issue. It should be very serious to us. Look around the room. There's opportunities everywhere. There's seats everywhere. There's an opportunity right by you. Don't give up on your loved ones. I don't care how far away. You can't go much further away than Paul. <laughs> he is far away from Jesus. He's trying to kill Jesus. I don't care how far away they go. I don't care what they do to their bodies or what they do to themselves. I, keep on pursuing them. Keep on loving them. 
Keep on telling them. Keep on praying for them. Never give up. So that when that door is shut, you can say from an honest heart, I did everything I knew to do, man. I, I invited, I persuaded, I urged, I, I did everything I could do to try to help people and the people I love, whether it's my kids or this person or that person. Man, God, I have no regrets. I told them time and time again. There's an open door right now. The door's open. It's wide open. Take advantage of it. Invite them in. Invite them in. Oh, fill up, fill up the two or three seats around you on big day. Invite them in. 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 Give, give the Holy Spirit a chance to save their life. Amen. Listen, every eye closed here and online. Man, if you're watching live or watching on Thursday, Friday, whatever day it is, it doesn't matter. Man, if this applies to you, it, uh, it's, it's real to you right now. And for those in this room, it's real to you right now. If you're not right with God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an invitation. I'm gonna invite you to come and know Jesus as the Lord of your life, to receive the forgiveness of God. He says by his power, he makes you right with God. You'll have a right relationship with God. Right now, there's a wall between you and God, and that wall is our sin, our sin. Jesus died to tear that wall down, to do something that we couldn't do. We can't die for our, our, our sins to set us free. We just die in our sins that drags us to hell. We live in our sins that not only hurts us, but hurts those around us. That's why God calls us to hate sin and love what is right. Because when we do right, we see the results. When we do wrong, we also see the results. This is your chance and this is your opportunity right here online to get this right with God. God made a way to get it right. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, something we could not do. He raised Jesus from the dead and said the same spirit that he raised Jesus from the dead with is the same Holy Spirit. He'll raise your spirit on the inside of you from the dead. He will save your life so that you can live out the blessings and rewards of God in this life and get the full reward when you get to heaven. He wants to set you free now from all those things that drag you down, attitudes, issues, stuff that's controlling you and damaging you. He wants to set you free. But you have to submit your life. You have to choose and say, I, I give my life. God will not make you. You have to choose say, I give my life to you, God. I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Send your indwelling Holy Spirit to dwell inside of me, to live inside of me. Teach me. Show me how to live. Teach me what is right and wrong, not in my eyes, not my truth, your truth. Teach me, Lord, how to live life and life to the full here and life in heaven forever. Teach me. Show me. If you'll pray today, he'll move today. You won't walk out of here perfect. Some of you will walk out completely delivered. I have friends in this church that, man, they came and prayed and they were completely free that day. It wasn't like that for me. It was a process for me. I was saved the day I prayed, man. God was, God, uh, had made things right between me and him inside of me. And I wanted to do what's right, but I had to go through a process to get it right. And it was okay. God, God's okay with the process because I was moving forward with him, following him. And he's okay with your process. If you've never prayed, we want to pray with you right now, here or online. If you've prayed before and you've run away for whatever reason, you got hurt or this happened or that happened or whatever reason, the world got a hold of you again. Man, you took your eyes off Jesus and got drugged back out there. Whatever the reason, just come home right now. So whether it's your first time or your next time, online or here, man, let's pray right now. All you have to do is be sincere and honest. God will be sincere and honest with you always. Online, I'm going to ask you right now just to type in and say whatever. I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. In this room, I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to raise your hand. Say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God today and put it down quickly. 
And then right where you're seated, we're going to pray. Right where you're at at home, we're going to pray. So here we go. Online, send the message. Here, because you just need to acknowledge it. You just need to acknowledge it to somebody. Hey, I'm getting right with God. You need to tell somebody. And in this room, one, two, three, raise your hand up. Say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God. Thank you, 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 thank you. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's two more over there. Thank you. Golly, all over the room. It's awesome. Let's pray with, with all of these right here. Church family, let's pray with them because we care and we, had, we needed someone to pray this with us. Say this, say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. That your word, the Bible, is the truth. And you said in your word that you sent Jesus to die for my sins because you love me and wanted to save my life. I believe that. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. and He's alive. And because I believe that, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of all my sins. And I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus, I say to you, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. And I receive your Lordship in your indwelling Holy Spirit that lives inside of me now, that teaches me, directs me, and guides me into the truth and how to live this life to the full and how to attain heaven in the next life. Thank you for saving my life, restoring my life with you. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God. He's incredible. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.